0: Hello, and welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games, episode 2. I'm your host, Mango.
1: And I'm your co-host, Buddy.
0: Uh, Buddy, why don't you tell the audience what we talk about on this podcast?
1: Well, we talk about games. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about a smorgasbord of things. We're going to be addressing a little bit of uh, Pathfinder, Dungeons & Dragons, tabletop RPG kind of design and mechanics stuff. But uh, we also wanted to finish off the conversation that we were having last week about games that we're hyped for. Um, because I had a few honorable mentions in my list that didn't quite make it into the cast. Um, I guess we should just hit that out of the park first. The big, the big title that I want to talk about, and the one that I haven't actually gotten to yet, which kind of sucks because it actually came out, is Civilization Beyond Earth Rising Tide. Because Civilization Beyond Earth is a fascinating kind of, uh, like, game culturally to me. Just because of how, like, how much pedigree there is in the Civilization brand. And Civilization Beyond Earth kind of got like its version of PAND. Um, but it has way less hours played on Steam. You know, the R Civilization, R Civ, um on Reddit is dominated by Civ 5 content. There's very, very little, if at all, uh Beyond Earth content. And so I'm really excited to see kind of the the changes that get made to the player base, and whether this is kind of, like, the big jumping-on point for people into the Civilization Beyond Earth game. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, because, you know, I'm I'm a huge...
0: You're both huge Tip fans, but I am, too, and I, I bought Beyond Earth on launch. I thought I had some neat ideas, but I I wasn't convinced, and uh, I actually have... I didn't buy Rising Tide, um, or I, I haven't yet. I'm sure I will eventually. Just just didn't stick out at me. It's just... Didn't feel like that was going to be the the itch to scratch. I'm kind of waiting on a point when like enough of us, I guess, feel feel the need to scratch the itch and all get it together and maybe play some multiplayer. But I don't I don't feel the need to buy this expansion and play the single player um, in the same way that I did with, with Civ Five with like B um What were the expansions for that? Oh,
1: see that's actually kind of interesting because well, it's a little bit I guess I think of Civilization as a single-player first game, right? And so part of me just wants to get the, you know, get the expansion and dig into it, you know, and just go nuts uh, and see see what it has to offer. Because, I, you know, like, it's not... I, I don't even think I would really feel bad if the expansion was, you know, like, bad for me to pay the 40 bucks or whatever, right? Just because I love Phyraxis so much. I love Civilization, and I don't mind, you know... I don't mind, uh, try, you're giving them a shot, right? You know, like kind of giving oh, them oh, a better of no, the doubt abs-
0: almost. Ab- uh, abso- absolutely. I didn't, I didn't mean to say that, like, you no, know, cause I, I often feel the same way. I feel, I feel civilization is like a, a single player game in many ways. Although I, I feel like the, the challenge multiplayer is necessary to keep it really, I have, I have some, this is probably a topic of another podcast about how civilization, harder difficulties aren't actually, the AI playing smarter, it's them cheating harder, which, yeah, which, which, which bothers me. But like, it's, it's, that's, that's kind of how bad it is, right? That I'm not willing to like, you know, uh, Brave New World was the Civ Five expansion. I was so hyped for that. I you know, I was, I was not as hyped as like about as hyped as, as I am for Fallout 4, right? I was following all the changes, getting ready, just like rubbing my hands together, playing oh, wow. it on launch. Like, and I was super pumped for that. Um, uh, like, you know, reading, like, the individual balance changes in a thread that Firax had made. Uh, Rising Tide, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> That's like, funny. Like, like, I'm sure eventually I'll get it. Like, my, my thought, I looked at it, and I was like, man, I'll probably pick that up
1: during the winter sale. Or something like that. That's interesting. Especially because, I mean, like, my Civ Five experience is very different than yours. I actually played a little bit of... Civ 5 vanilla and you know it it was it was okay and everything but it it didn't really grip me or grab me um and when i really got into civ 5 was the first expansion gods and kings uh that was when like it took off and i was like all right here we got you know here we got a game that brave new brave new world was just icing on the cake for that matter um that's interesting i, I i'm a believer that the problems with beyond earth aren't problems that an expansion can necessarily flesh out I really think it has a lot to do with the AI uh, and how the AI is programmed I'm kind of just waiting to see almost like an AI update that just says hey the AI are going to attack you more and make more interesting decisions um, but but you know hey maybe there's a part of it there's they redid diplomacy and stuff but anyway I don't want to hammer that point home yeah uh, I
0: I feel like that's 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 kind of like the the AI isn't particularly interesting it's a problem for uh, Civ games in general I, th- I think part of the biggest problem with Beyond Earth is that it's supposed to be this great new game set in space this radical departure and it feels kind of like Civ 5 with green with aliens instead of barbarians like green things instead of like normal color things
1: yeah yeah, I definitely feel that. Um,
0: and it, it is not Alpha Centauri too, which is, I think, what a lot of people wanted. Not necessarily me, but, like, I think that's why a lot of the community reacted poorly, is they were like, oh, man, Sid Meier is going to make a new space game. Where's my Alpha Centauri?
1: Yeah, I definitely feel that. In fact, I've seen a lot of talk along those lines uh, when people talk about civilization beyond Earth. And it sucks because I think that's a little bit unfair to a certain extent, Um and, you know, it's it's kind of like, Beyond Earth is its own thing, and it should kind of live on its own and not be beholden to the legacy of a game 15 years ago, right? Like, how many people at Firaxis were around when Alpha Centauri was developed, right? Like, how many uh, people... You, well, right, but I'm just saying, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. is it oh, the work of the same studio, you know, in name, sure, even though I don't actually think it was developed by Firaxis, um, because it was, of... It well, was because when they were at, still under
0: somebody, it was before Fraxes yeah. existed. Yeah. yeah, it
1: was at the. I think it was at the time when their contract was in, with Activision instead of Two K Games. I mean, this is real inside baseball stuff. But uh, but anyway, you know, I, I I part of me thinks that's unfair, but part of me gets where people are coming from. Um, I don't know. I probably try it out to be honest. Like, I think it's worth a looking at. And, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of downtime between now and November 10th where, you know, the shit really hits the fan and then all of a sudden I have nothing to play but uh, new games coming out. So, I don't know, maybe I'll dig in. Um, just what uh, what 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 games have you been playing this week, man? I, yeah, we no, actually, I, I was going to
0: say, you talked about a game that very recently came out and I could talk about, um, I played some of it li- earlier this week and, in fact, this morning I was playing uh, Destiny the Taken King. Like, oh, nice. Um and I feel like the Taken King um like the, the the analogy I like to use is that I feel like the Taken King is is like Diablo's Reaper of Souls. Um in in the way that it turned or even the the patch that went along with it, not even like the actual expansion, turned around the game from being boring and kind of bad into something that I love to play. Um you know, obviously it's not uh you know like the best game I've ever played, but it's a lot of fun. It's, you know, it, it feels good, right? Like, the the, the gunplay always felt good, um, but now that's married with a better story. I think they were trying to go with, like, this very cool Misan Sen thing in in the year one, which is the, the pre-Taking Hink stuff. Okay. Um, like, they were, tr- they were trying to do this, you know, like, much like Bastion, right? The story only happens in the game. Um, but I think this was significantly hampered by the fact that um, Peter Dinklage's voice acting was either just straight bad or he was coached to be bad. Um, It just didn't sound good. And whether that was a failure on Peter Dinklage's part or failure on the director directing him's part, I don't know. But they replaced him, all of his dialogue with Nolan North. um, Yeah, I mean, if there's ever
1: a guy who knows how to voice act in a video game, I think Nolan North has that down at this point. (laughs) Nolan
0: Nolan North did it well. Um, And some of the stuff they did was they included... Um they included cutscenes in this version and the cutscenes were pretty good. They're pretty they were very pretty. Um, they were expository, they gave you a sense of feeling and a sense of the world. I liked it a lot. And uh, you know, I started joining back at the game, feels good. Uh the crucible, which is multiplayer, feels great. Uh I uh I love it. You know, it's just I it's it's a great thing to dig into and it's also a thing that I can kinda pick up and put down a, a bunch. Uh, I haven't gotten so f- deep far deep into like the the really grindy bits cuz at the end of the day it has like MMO like elements with like you know weekly stuff to do and daily things yeah, to do yeah people have always talked um, about that um, but i am just i'm just surface enough on the game that i'm still enjoying it without feeling like i'm grinding on it so um i'm happy i'm i don't i'm not convinced if it was the only game i'm playing i'd be as happy with it as i am but because it's kind of like one of the x games i'm playing i am having a great time with it
1: you know, it's always a little bit sad to me that it never came out on PC because I you know, I, I I'm a part of the PC master raids now. You know, for the first <laughs> time in my life I've got a current gen PC with, you know, three gigs of graphics RAM and I can power through these games, right? And then Destiny gets released on the other consoles and it's like, well, am I gonna buy it you know, am I gonna buy a console? Only to play Destiny or like only to play, you know, whatever Blood Bloodborne Wait, is that what it's called?
0: Bloodborne's the PS4 game. Yeah, the Bloodborne's the
1: game. PS4 game. Uh, you know, there's all those X-Bone... Ex- uh, I don't know, Sunset people tell overdrive? me... Uh, like yeah, well, overdrive. People tell me that there are some X-Bone exclusives that are... I, I I don't know. I just read this stuff on Reddit, kind of, in passing. Um, and it sucks because, you know, I'm not a big first-person shooter guy, but I do like Bungie. I think they're a good... Uh, you know, I think they're just a solid dev yeah. studio. And uh, I kind of feel like I it, this would be the kind of game I would get into, but there hasn't been any talk of a PC release as far as I've heard. Well,
0: so so um, people actually ask, but this is this is like year old information. So if they've updated their stance, forgive me. But I know a year ago when the game was first coming out, they said that it wasn't totally off the table. Um, and it's weird because the interface, if you if I don't know if you've actually touched the game, but like the interface is you drag a cursor around along the screen and put and select options. Like, you know, like you would do with, say, a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, part of the thing, too, is, is this fractionalization, right? Like, Char- my roommate Charles bought it on the PS4. I bought it on the Xbox One. I can't play with him. I can't play with any of my friends on the PS4. Um, and, you know, if I, if it was on PC, I could play it with all all you guys, right? Which would probably make it a much more compelling experience. Because apparently that was what kept people around in the first place, was playing with friends online. Um, but I don't have any friends. Um on <laughs> on the Xbox One <laughs> at
1: least. <laughs> uh Freudian Slip, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh, But yeah, it's uh But yeah, that's that that's the exceptional part of my week other than like, you know, the ass tons of league that we that we always play.
1: That we that we play every week, always. And yet we still haven't really talked about it all that much. I, yeah. I imagine we'll, we'll, we'll get a huge nitty-gritty freaking podcast when preseason comes yeah, out. Yeah, preseason. Uh, or maybe, you out. know, I, I, there's definitely some stuff to talk about in Worlds that I've been noticing. Um, specifically, kind of how Juggernauts and Teleport have affected the game. And I think there's a lot to dig into there. But that's just a, a trailer for the future. Oh, yeah. Dear listeners, um, the big game that I've been playing this week has actually been Heart of the Swarm, especially because I gushed so much about Legacy of the Void last week. I was like, I just, I have to replay Heart of the Swarm, and it is mind blowing to me how much I didn't appreciate this game the first time I played it. Um, I've always had this stance um, that Wings of Liberty was better than Heart of the Swarm for kind of a variety of reasons. And by the way, all of, and anyone who's about to take to the comment section to agree with me because of whatever multiplayer thing. uh, Actually, uh, I'm talking about the story mode. I'm sure multiplayer... Everyone tells me the multiplayer kind of got ruined in a competitive or a professional sense, but I don't know all that much about it. I'm sorry, guys. I know I'm some kind of heretic. Uh, But it's incredible to me how uh, compelling Kerrigan's story is and how amazing, like truly amazing, Blizzard is. At creating, I mean, you kind of mentioned Maison Sen, and this is a little bit of that, but uh, you know, creating an experience with the gameplay and the missions in game to make you feel like the race that you're playing as. Like, you know, for instance, there are several missions in Heart of the Swarm where you just straight up infest, and it feels crazy because you just you like it is the the truest experience of playing a zerg. You know, you start as a parasite in one thing, and you go and you start infecting all of these other things, and you're, you know, like, getting all of this biomass and becoming Zerg, and then all of a sudden you've just infested this whole place. Or, you know, the the mechanics of a... I, I guess they're technically a structure called creep tumors, right? Um, creep tumors are kind of the StarCraft II equivalent of creep colonies from StarCraft I, but they're not, you know, they, they don't cost minerals or anything, and they're very, very, they're very small, and basically they're kind of a... A a micro-intensive scouting tool, it looks like. Uh, Because what they are is they come on a very early unit, the Swarm Queen, and it's just an activatable that they have to lay down a creep tumor every ten seconds or so. And so if you can spare the micro to tell her to go lay down creep tumors at the edge of their range over and over and over again, you'll actually start to blanket the map in creep. And obviously Zerg regenerate faster on creep, they walk faster on creep, I think they have increased attack speed also on Creep. Um, on top of the fact that it's kind of a scouting effect, right? Because if you extend creep, out, like the Creep tumors out far enough, you will see any attacking forces because they'll attack your Creep tumors, obviously. And it's just... Um, it's a very weird experience that I didn't get the first time I played Heart of the Swarm, and I have been so enthralled with this time. It's like watching how I have to creep up the entire map for certain missions, or those missions where I just decide, you know what, I'm just going to spend 10,000 minerals on freaking zerglings, and I'm just going to go nuts on their base, you know, um, I don't know, man, god, that game is so good, StarCraft is so good, I'm so excited for Legacy of the Void, um, yeah, sorry, man, wow, I just monologued a little bit. Yeah,
0: I mean, like, if it makes you happy, bro. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. Um yeah the only thing i contribute to that is uh yeah so uh one of my friends uh once he played on my account multiplayer he was trying to raise change and uh he he got that account to uh to plat or diamond i don't know i forget what the leagues were in in starcraft by the way i did yeah i don't don't care that's a violation of the terms of service but don't tell blizzard please (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, so I played, I played one game while my account was that high and, uh, yeah, I, uh, I beat that guy with a cannon rush and I was like, I'm going to quit while I hadn't never played Starcraft multiplayer again. Um, yeah. I,
1: I mean, when I, when Wings of Liberty came out, I used to play a ton of Starcraft multiplayer, but that was because there wasn't a meta, You know what I mean? I thought Reapers were the coolest units and so a friend of mine who played Zerg oh, th- There was rush- a meta,
0: you just didn't know about it. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, that's fair, I suppose. What we would do is we would do Reaper Roaches Rushes, where I would build a ton of Reapers and you would build a ton of Roaches, and I would swarm into their base, you know, to do the normal Reaper things, right, like where you kill their, their supply line, lo- or not their supply line, lo- their, uh, what are they called, workers. You, 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 like, you murder as many of their workers as they can, they bring their guys to fight you, but instead of leaving, I would go and throw my Reapers at whatever detectors they had, uh, because then I would let I would let my friend Max come in with his tunneling roaches, and they would tunnel all the way into the base without being seen, and pop up and just destroy everything. And it, you know, it worked in bronze, yeah, no, which is um, what I was in.
0: At at some point, at some point, we should maybe stream uh, an archon mode game in Legacy of the Void. Have you heard about archon mode? Yes,
1: I have. I think it sounds great. It sounds and I'm really excited fucking to hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, do you have anything else you want to talk about about your week?
1: No, no, that was, uh, that was about it for my week. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there's, there's some stuff that we should save, uh, for future, for future casts down the road.
0: Sure. Uh, so yeah, let, let's get into the meat of it then. We're, uh, this week we're going to talk about, um, Pathfinder. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about homebrew specifically for Pathfinder. Um, mostly because... In the coming weeks, but he's going to be starting a new campaign, and we're kind of nailing. And he's kind of nailing down the homebrew he wants to use for it. And you know, he's played a lot of it. I've played a lot of it. We've both GM'd and played a ton of hours. We have other friends who GM and play a ton of hours and have their own thoughts about how the game should work, including, in my mind, a very important friend. Whose response is always "No, that's not raw, so it's wrong."
1: Um, <laughs> I actually and- think it's pretty great the the balance that we have between our friend group of how we want to and how we tend to change things because you know and th- this is something I've talked with you know people about plenty of times where uh, you know my tendency is to over tinker with rules a little bit. And, you know, that's that's just me. And uh, there's obviously, there's our raw friend who does everything raw, even if we break it. Like, even if we completely demolish something and make it really, really broken, you know, it's raw. So it's legal. And I really respect his stance on that because there are plenty of times where, you know, I'm playing in his game and I'm just like, listen, guys, this can't happen. Uh, just for reference, by the way, this is our Iron Gods campaign run by our friend Nick. Uh, you'll be able to see that stuff on the channel, I, I imagine, because I guess we have those vods saved, right?
0: Yeah, the, uh, they have. We have them saved. You can definitely see them live streamed. I haven't put any work into uh, into putting them onto the YouTube channel. Um, maybe I will soon, um, but yeah. So maybe, but you can definitely <laughs> yeah. see it live uh, when it happens on uh, Twitch.tv/slash some Derps Play Games. Um, um, we'll probably the other, So the,
1: the other thing, I guess, just to give a little bit of primer for anyone who isn't incredibly familiar with Pathfinder, uh, Pathfinder is a is a continuation of Wizards of the Coast's uh, 3.5 D&D edition. Um, wizards of the Coast released 4th edition, and a third-party company who wasn't wizards decided, hey, 3.5 was pretty good, we're going to take that system, update it a little bit, make it our own, call it Pathfinder, it's been out for years, you can go to look for uh, paizo.com or d20pfsrd.com for more information on kind of the background of the rules that we're going to be talking about for the next like hour. Or so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just to clarify, part of the reason for this is that 4 was a very radical departure from 3.5. Um and so and so people, you know, people people wanted that 3. 3.5 5 also was if you notice the numbers go 3 3.5 4. So 3.5 was already like a half upgrade. And it just had so much content for it that people really didn't want to throw that all away again. Um, and although most of it actually has been kind of transitioned out, like Paizo generally doesn't interact super great with the later 3.5 stuff because some of it's just kind of flat out broken. Um, but like for a while there was that like where you could convert everything and still, you know, you could use the core rules from Paizo and kind of bring in the additional content you wanted from 3.5. Um. That was cool. So that that's how that transitioned.
1: But yeah, people people's uh, opinions on this whole period of RPG ephemera is very you know, very heated, very controversial. Yes. You know. But anyway, um, to talk about the specifics of homebrews, right? Homebrew is a is a term, obviously, that we use for rules that a, a GM of a game will world create or you know players will suggest and a GM will affirm kind of things. Um. And people have different opinions on how homebrew should be used. Honestly, I used to use homebrew in what I think of as a very bad way uh when I was first starting out as a DF, you know. I used to try and balance with homebrew, which is just inherently stupid. Uh and this is obviously because I didn't know very much about game design at the time, but uh for the learned game designers out there, I'm sure we can all agree that balance is very iterative. And you need a lot of playtesting to like kind of solidify it. Um, and homebrew is kind of the opposite of that in a lot of in a lot of scenarios. You know, if you want to make homebrew rules, you really shouldn't make them too. You know, you're you're not trying to nitpick balance with homebrew because you're always going to fall short, and it's going to be a little bit tough. You kind of have to be solving other more direct or appropriate problems uh, in order for homebrew to be really success- successful, in my opinion or in my perspective. Uh, I'm not really sure if you agree with that. No, way. no,
0: absolutely. Because so I actually, this is, um, I will probably I, I don't think I've said it yet on the cast. I haven't talked about D anD D, but I will probably several times over the over the lifetime of this podcast talk about the sacred pact that is the rules. Um, <laughs> yeah. this, this 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 is this is my hill to die on. Essentially, it's like so. The rules are kind of you know this guarantee that that there's that this game is not completely arbitrary. That if you die, it's not GM's fault. DM doesn't hate you. It's because that's just how the rules ro- ro- the rules went, and that's how the rules work out. And this and the rules are just this guarantee, um, this contract essentially between the GM and the players that everything's good and fair. And if you try and balance with home, if you try and balance with homebrew and you fail, that feels bad because you fucked up. If you try and balance with, um, if the core game without any homebrew is unbalanced you can kind of shrug your shoulders and be like well that's a weird artifact of the system and you don't feel nearly as bad about it right like yeah you don't you don't feel mad at your GM for making a broken system you just kind of shrug and be like well he did his best and he played to the roles and that just kind of happened um, and that's why I think it's very important for homebrew to uh, address like you said very specific deficiencies in the system that you think are there or um things that are so glaring that somebody would be aggravated at with you for not fixing it, um, if it came up in a game.
1: I mean to be honest, and I don't mean to toot your horn all that much, but it's that concept when it, when, when that concept was first explained to me, it was uh, obviously by you or whatever. But it was a it was a perspective that I never really you know taken underfoot because when I think of D anD D, I think of it as a storytelling thing where it, where kind of the GM is the you know he he's the director of this. D movie to use a pretty poor analogy but um and so there were tons of things that i was doing on my end to change stuff because it felt more cinematic to me or it you know uh it made for more, more drama or higher stakes or whatever uh but they were uh they were kind of unfair to players right because i was kind of Arbitrarily deciding things behind a screen that they couldn't see. So it definitely, you know, I, I, I could definitely see how it came off, or like it does come off that way. And so, uh, one of the big things that I've been doing with Hell's Rebels, which is the game that I'm preparing to run, is thinking very deliberately about how I would like to create the cinematic experience that I'm, that I'm looking for, right? Um, and part of that is by enhancing systems that I think are underserved. Uh, the two big, big homebrew changes I have that we're going to delve into and nitpick the fuck out of um, are change to diplomacy um, and social interactions with you know with certain characters in the stealth system. Um, and uh, I think publicizing that stuff for players and to get player feedback and to make sure players are really on board with... This is how the mechanics are changing, and here's kind of why is really really important.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, I, I agree. Getting player buy-in is probably the most important thing, um, because otherwise, then you're going to have grumpy players at the table who are going to take every opportunity to be like, "See, I told you that was a bad idea." Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's 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 it's, it's a consequence, right? especially when you're playing with. You know, not not all of our group is is grognards, but when you've got enough people that are mechanically minded enough, and especially enough people that have been in the system long enough to see these kinds of things, you, you need to get everybody on board in order for them to to really to, to really bite into it. Like you could probably get away with it with a group of totally fresh players who don't know what's happening, but with a bunch of but um this is a dichotomy I, I think about. is like you know there are two types of people that play D anD D. There are uh, gamers, and there are like theater kids. Um, and the theater kids are probably more forgiving of, of uh, mechanical misstep and mechanical wonkiness um, and the gamers are pr- probably more forgiving of like bad RP and yeah. bad theatrics um, yeah, and I think our group I think our group skews heavily to to gamers uh, so you know we, you really got to get the mechanics locked down there but let's let's yeah. talk about some of these mechanics you, you okay so
1: the first one is is diplomacy I'm sure this is the one that uh, you've thought about the most uh, in recent times. So the diplomacy change is something that I was thinking about for a long time. Um, I actually announced to my players, kind of before I announced any other changes, that I would be integrating a system known as skill challenges from 4th edition. And when I said that, I didn't really go into what I meant, because it, honestly, I just kind of thought I was going to run 4th edition skill challenges without really thinking about it, but kind of as like the weeks pressed on. And I was just thinking about it more and more. It's like, well, I'm not really doing this for anything other than how skill challenges change uh, diplomacy for the better. Anyway, so here's the problem I was trying to diagnose. Hell's Rebels is a very social game, right? It's a game where uh, a group of players are getting together and they're forming a grassroots rebellion against the system, right? And against the, the fantasy Hitler who's taken over their city. Um, and so they have to do lots of negotiating, uh, they have to do lots of role playing to figure out, you know, how their rebellion is going to work and all this kind of stuff. And it really bugged me that inside of that system, a diplomacy check is one role, right? The, the, like, as written, if they wanted to convince a guard to let one of their friends go, that's one role. If they wanted to convince, you know, the king of a neighboring kingdom, To come to their, to join into an allegiance and come to their aid with an army. That's one rule. If they wanted to, you know, if they wanted to walk into a club with a bouncer and the bouncer didn't want to let them in, that was one rule. And it just felt weird to me that things that were super mundane, like walking into a club, and things that were incredibly, incredibly dramatic, right? Things that were literally game changing like uh, securing the allegiance of, uh, you know, a king or whatever, that stuff would all be one role. There was no differentiating. So um, skill challenges is what I brought in to kind of address that fact. Uh, d- just to highlight the mechanics. Basically a skill challenge is something that was released in d 4th edition, and it was a special kind of challenge where the, the party, instead of, making a bunch of combat rolls and trying to kill someone, you know what I mean? Like, if we boiled combat down to how many attack rolls did it take to kill the enemy, right? Um, before the enemy's attack rolls killed them kind of thing. A skill challenge is how many times can you succeed at a skill check before you fail too many times, right? Um, and so the basic system for the diplomacy checks are how many times can you rack up skill you know can you succeed at skill checks before you fail 3 times um and there's a couple of nuances to how that 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 works out but uh i guess just you see where i'm coming from right like what the what the genesis of this system oh, is absolutely for.
0: yeah no absolutely it, make, it makes total sense um yeah, like I, I definitely, I definitely get why this decision needs to be made. You're right. Like you know, oh, too often in D and D, also, like I, th- I think this is also part of part of your reasoning, as you explained to me, you know, off cast, um, is that like you have one guy who sinks his skill points into the uh, face skills, and he does all the diplomacy for all the party, and so if you're gonna do that, you need to make it one role, because otherwise, it's just one guy talking with the DM for 45 minutes. Yeah, um, and that that doesn't feel good. But I you know, so part of the system too, I think, is you, you were saying is you bring you can bring in the rest of the party to also help with this and make it more of an all party thing, right? Like convincing the king is something your entire merry band of rebels should be doing, not just like the dude, right? Yeah, like, like, I like, mean the not, first just iteration the dude on that has on a high, that. high charisma.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the first iteration on that was actually something that you personally rebelled against, very oh, yeah. rightly so, because that was a little bit... It was a, a tiny bit worse design than the alternative that I eventually thought up at 12.30 at night while lying in bed, racking my brain over Pathfinder mechanics, right? Um, the the system in 4th edition says that you, that you run round by round, right, which is where... You know, Mango will go, and then Nick will go, and then Mark will go, and then the enemy will go, and then it will cycle back to Mango, right? But I actually really didn't like that for the diplomacy because that doesn't, you know, make a ton of sense. It, it, may, it makes more sense that if Mango's character is taking the lead and he's driving the conversation, I shouldn't just arbitrarily pop over and be like, hey, Mark. What does your character do? You know what I mean? Like, that would just derail everything. And so I I got rid of that requirement, and the first thing that I instituted to replace it was um, a penalty, which was obviously uh, the controversial bit. Basically, how that read was the more checks that one person makes consecutively, the more kind of stacks, so to speak, they accumulate to make their further checks harder right so that if you have your face who is making all of your checks and leaving behind the rest of your party it gets harder and harder for him to continually rack up successes as he dominates the conversation uh the original impetus for this was me thinking about you know like the pushy salesman right and how just like off-putting that is when somebody keeps you know Hey, we buy this? No. But really, will you buy this? No. But r- really, will you buy this though? No. no. It's like that's what it's like when someone is making three diplomacy checks in a row. And so I kind of thought that that scaling DC that was going up and up and up was a good way of compensating for that. But uh, the system wasn't really well laid out, so to speak, um, because the che- the the those stacks would be cleared as soon as one other person talked, right? So it really just incentivized a party to have two face characters one who asks hey will you buy this and then when the person says no the other guy says well how about if you buy this from me um which didn't yeah alternating really like solve the well how about now? We'll how about, <laughs> yeah, yeah. now well
0: how about now yeah um and I, I think another part of that too which is which is part of my initial objection to it is that it also penalizes the guy who's good at being faced right like in the same way that you want the fighter to be the best guy at swinging swords, you know, in the manner of speaking, you still want the face to be the best guy on the diplomacy team. You just don't want him to be the only guy on the diplomacy team. Yeah, um, especially if you know part of this might be just you know party composition issue, right? Like I, my, the the re- part of the reason I objected at heart uh, to this is because I'm playing an investigator, which is a very combat light class, um, whereas uh, and so like you know the diplomacy stuff is kind of going to be the bread or the skill checks are going to be the bread and butter of what my character does. And so in that kind of situation, he's like, well, well, fuck, what am I doing, right? Um and I think that the the system that you came up with, which is bonuses for including other people, I think that's a I think that's a, a much better way to, to let your face be kind of like the mainline guy. But if somebody has something to contribute, they can jump in without feeling like that they're penalizing the party, which is, I think, the most val- one of the most valid parts of your complaint about the initial system, which is if you are playing and you are not the face and you go to make a check because it makes sense uh, thematically or RP-wise, you're actually doing a disservice to your party because if you've got a bad score for that thing, you are going to fail the roll when you could have just like been like, well, the face should do this role instead because he's good at it.
1: Yeah, I think I think the bonuses was a good way to handle that. To be honest, I'm actually a little bit torn on how hardcore I want the bonus to be. Initially, in my mind, it was so. Initially, in my mind, the DC stacked by two, uh, and then I think I changed it to four in my head, but I don't ever I don't know that I made that to paper. And then I wiped that system and I made it two for you know like the first time you make your check, you get an extra plus two. But in actually thinking about it, I I think it would make a little bit more sense for it to be a little bit higher, right? To be like a plus three, maybe plus four would probably be too much. Uh, and obviously, this is just kind uh, so of-
0: I I think that's got to be context sensitive, right? Like I I see what you're saying that like you know plus two might not be enough of an incentive, but I think what you I think you know obviously plus two is very nice because it's very clean. Or plus three is very nice because it's very clean. It's very hard line. It's something you can easily point to and feel mechanically fair about. But I think the issue there is that you don't want people switching artificially because that gives you a bonus. What you want is to encourage thoughtful play. And I think part of that can be like, um, circumstance bonus if the person brings up a good point, or allowing somebody to roll a different skill than you would typically allow them to use, or give them a circumstance bonus for a particularly well thought out point. Something like that. Oh,
1: interesting. So, actually, I, I, started, I was thinking about this kind of thing. And you're right, that's definitely going to be part of the system. But as far as I'm concerned, my one of my operating assumptions is that the role, the, like the player should know the result of the role, and the result of the role should be absolute right so the player should like i shouldn't give a player a circumstance bonus for plus 5 because he's saying the perfect thing right but he rolls a 16 adds his bonuses it comes out to a 20 and then i i add that plus 5 kind of behind the board right and he doesn't necessarily see that as far as i'm concerned his roll should always be 20 and if i'm going to add if i'm going to change the way the interaction happens five points the change should happen on the dc because the dc is always going to be secret for these things right and so um i think it's just a little bit more visceral and a little bit more important for the player to see their role know they rolled a 23 and you know what i mean and whether that meets the dc or not based on those circumstances is the is the is the question
0: sure but like at that point it isn't kind of like splitting hairs like I, I, so, this might just be a difference in style. When, when assigning circumstance bonuses, I generally don't be like, oh, you got a plus five. I generally take that into account in my head and adjust accordingly. So, if it's a plus five on the roll or a minus five on the DC, it's it's pretty much the same thing. But,
1: mango. what about the sacred contract? How could uh, your player... What's well, the, so the contract with so 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 your so players don't know? So I'm kidding. I'm just... Well, I'm know, just <laughs>
0: but part of this actually brings up a pretty good point, which is... Um, well, this has kind of been implicit, and we haven't really talked about it. But we don't use the raw diplomacy system because it's broken. Um, there's a bunch of good articles about it. I can link it in the in maybe in the description. But like by raw, like a level three bard can convince anything to do whatever he wants, um, assuming he takes like skill focus or something. Yeah, it's
1: ridiculously bad. Um,
0: because it's all against static DCs, and that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And there are some good systems out there. I think um uh, I think it's the guy who who the right. Order of the Stick and Giant yeah, in the he,
1: Playground, 100% agree with you. That's always been my favorite uh, homebrew system for this, though um, he still falls prey a bit to the kind of one role besides the fate of the world thing.
0: Sure, but, like, that, that's the way to scale DCs, right? Like, I think, uh, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, sacred contract aside, right? Like, there's sometimes when you're going to have subjective things, things that you can't, you know... You can't say that that speech was like, you know. You can't say, you know. I consult my chart, and that's that point was plus five good. So you know, there's no chart for like the goodness of an argument type of deal.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I've always thought about it like a weak... You know, like it's it's less the goodness of the argument and more he's hitting the weak spot of the target, right? You know, if I you know if I'm appealing to a mother. You know, because I want something from her, and I and I I'm appealing to her on the basis of the well-being of her children. She and she's more susceptible to that. Theoretically, on one end, that's a good argument on the player, and he deserves a circumstance bonus. Uh, But as far as I'm concerned, that is the mother. That is almost a weakness of the mother, and that drives down her DC to resist. Sure, uh, but so to speak. Some sometimes it's
0: some so unless you want to consider like a fairly common weakness to be susceptible to convincing arguments. Like, there are some times when it's not going to be against a weakness, right? Like, you know, someone points out very clearly, right? Like, you know, if you help us, you are less likely to be invaded, which is just kind of, like, a true thing, right? And, you know, like, yeah, the king, like, I don't know if I'd categorize it as a weakness of the king to want to protect his homeland, right? Like, that's just kind of, like, convincing argument. Um, Right, like, I, I think... The distinction I'm at least trying to put into to what you just said is the difference between um, pandering essentially or like you know trying to push the right button and more just trying to make good argumentation right the, diff- the difference between um, the difference between convincing someone or the difference between logic and uh, and the uh, statesmanship almost
1: so uh, so just to kind of circle back a little bit the contention is that if I make the bonus a static plus three, right? That you just get for beginners' luck for being, you know, for the first time you speak and they're interested in what you say, kind of thing. That it's going to, you know, it's going to incentivize people to talk in certain. It's it's going
0: to incentivize people to, it's going to incentivize people to just talk, like to figure out a reason to talk and talk instead of. I mean, if you can figure out a good reason, that's fine, but it's going to incentivize somebody to go and make a statement, even if it's not a particularly strong one, just because, you know, they get the bonus on the roll. Right, right but I'd
1: rather have, So, I mean, from a... This is kind of, I guess, a lesser of two evils thing almost, but I'd rather have the, you know, warrior that that doesn't talk all that much talk because of, this, because of the bonus than not talk at all, right?
0: Uh, see... Mm. I don't, I don't know if I like so personally. I don't know if I agree with you on that on that point, right? Oh, th- interesting. So, my, okay. my, my, my thought here is just kind of like when you're in this negotiation, your diplomat, your face should be kind of like the guy who's doing all of the baseline, like hitting all the baseline beats, right? Like, he's doing most of the main negotiation because that's what he's good at, much like in your fight, your fighter's the one doing the full attack every round because that's what he's good at. And right, obviously, but it's not it's, like it's, cycles, it's not a perfect, it's not, right, a perfect it, it's
1: not like it cycles to the rogue and the rogue just sits there for a round. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, um I,
0: I also imagine that this system kind of works a little bit faster than a than a typical combat round, so that's yeah, a little I bit think, more for, well,
1: yeah I think definitely that's yeah good.
0: so so that's a little bit more forgiving. I think that like, you know, the soldier piping up and being like, uh and yeah we're real good is a worse result than the, than the diplomat just talking. But if the warrior th- hears, like, them talking about, like, well, how can we do the troops, right? The warrior piping up and being like, well, uh, I'm going to personally oversee the deployment of the troops and I have knowledge of extreme tactics and, and whatnot. And, you know, saying something relevant is, I think, a bet, like, in my mind, it's better to incentivize something relevant rather than incentivize talking at all. Um Obviously, you're free to disagree with that, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I kind of do, I just, like, playing that argument out in my head a little bit. Especially because, in my mind, the the optimal scenario is everybody talks at least once and maybe the face and one other person, you know, dominate the conversation. But as long as everybody gets in one shot, you know, and everybody, as long as everybody throws one roll, I think I'm, I'm I'm happy with that. Results because the the last thing I want is someone to be kind of turned off by these negotiations, right? I feel feel like it's not our you know like it's not for them or like the RP there it's not for them to RP or whatever because uh, especially in this game where RP is going to be very very core, um, you know, and, and I've made other changes that are a little bit smaller and more straightforward to incentivize people play taking one of the four social skills, uh, the social skills, uh, I'm going to reference this later, so I'll just explain it now. The social skills are bluff, diplomacy, intimidate, and sense motive, by the way. Um, it, it, if I'm going to incentivize them to take those skills, if RP is going to be a big part of this, you know, game, I, I'm, I want to make sure that in these big set piece RP moments, right, when you have to, you know, get down and get on your knees and convince this person to help out the rebellion, or you guys are dead in the water, um, I, I want everyone to participate in the same way that when you're fighting the big boss for the adventure or whatever, everyone participates in that fight.
0: Sure, uh, um, and so I, speaking. I definitely feel that. Um, I think I, I mostly agree. I think I just put a caveat on what, like the way I would describe, like the you said the the ideal conversation is one where everybody gets a role and one or two people kind of dominate because that's what they do. Um, my. in in my ideal scenario that also happens but it's not because like the reason everybody gets a role is because everybody found a place that they that everybody found a place where adding something was important right like people didn't add a role just to activate their bonus like people all everybody found a place where their particular expertise right like so if if i were running this for my game given you know the like the, the amount of thought I've given which is obviously less than you have um, in that situation my diplomat would be doing his you know I would ideally set the game so my diplomat would be doing his best to give the warrior a chance to roll his say profession soldier um, or at least augment his 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 diplomacy or bluff check with his profession so uh, his profession soldier to make a valid point and the success of the party is is that they were able to include everybody's expertise in the conversation, so that the other person didn't feel like, so so that like the person didn't feel like he was just talking because he needs to activate his bonus.
1: Yeah, I feel that, that actually speaks to a little bit of the you know the the nitty gritty of how the system works. The, sure. the, the, the the skeleton of the system is kind of the successes or failure. Well, actually, I want to I want to dwell on the success or failure for one more second just to explain. A piece of this that I think is really important another aspect of the one role that really bugs me personally is if the role like if if the diplomacy that's that's taking place is uh you know kind of plot necessary enough like if it's impossible for them to beat the you know if the, if it's impossible for them to beat the thing without the king's army right why is there a role at all how can they even fail that role? Because if they fail the role, what options do they have? Kind of a thing. And so, part of this system is built around um, allowing for different degrees of success. Um, functionally, the way the way I have it written in most of the scenarios, because I haven't really changed up, it, I haven't changed up the progress all that much. But there are three tiers of success. Right. The first being kind of minimum compliance, which is pretty easy to. To attain, but it's really not all that much. The second being a uh, medium level, and the last being maximum. I'm one hundred percent behind you, right? And the idea should be theoretically that 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 maximum is what you're striving for, right? You want to get all of the bonuses that you can from this group or from this person, um. But you you can you can take that you can take that hit, right? If you flub a few rolls, if something just isn't Working, that's okay. You you can you can lose a little bit, and so I thought that that was an important addition. But I'm not sure. I mean, how do you how do you feel about that? Well, I, I, I
0: think I think that's first of all. Um, just I, I was thinking about this as, as you're talking about it to, to make this very explicit because we've hinted at it. This is only for big set piece arguments. This isn't for individual like you know getting into the club is still a single role that right, your face right. does right.
1: That is 100 percent correct. Okay, in, uh, in the entirety of the first adventure, I have three planned
0: out okay awesome um the well,
1: not the first or no is that well not the first session the, the first, first book yeah the first the first book of the adventure path there are three and i think that that's a that's a relatively yeah, good yeah that, that, that sounds know, about right
0: yeah um but I, I i think that degrees of success i i think your, your point is, is very very salient right like if you've got an unfail, failable point why is it even a, a failable point i think that degrees of success is very good Um, I think, I think that's an awesome idea. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I think that's... Cool, uh, good, I'm glad, I'm happy
1: to hear that. Part of me thinks it undermines stuff a little bit, because it makes, you know, the, it makes winning a little bit too free, but I think, you it's just the realities of the system, man, like, I can't have these incredibly plot-dependent diplomacy things happen, uh, without, you know, without you guys being guaranteed virtually... Uh, some some success
0: in it. Yeah, and you you can also like, you know, you know, not every not every significant encounter that you want to use the system for is going to be mandatory, and you can set the minimum success bar a lot higher for that if you want to. Um, yeah, that's I, true. and you know, make the maximum success bar closer to it, right? Like, yep. not a, not every encounter has to be equal. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's so the biggest thing that that hits me as weird in this in this kind of system is it feels so like you know in these situations where like I'm not like okay let me let me clarify I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing it just hits me as weird as in in these situations where your cards are down and the most important things are happening and you really need to do this job to convince people um you are kind of forcing the guy who's dedicated to doing this to kind of step back a second which again I don't think is necessarily bad it's just it feels it feels weird. Like that's that's a very gut reaction. That's not like something I'm 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 saying is is a reason to change the system. Yeah, yeah, I know. What you
1: mean. I mean, the thing. I, it's funny you mention that because in my mind, I almost think about it the exact opposite. Right, that guy gets to do all of the small checks. Right, he the the seventy percent of the small diplomacy checks that take place over the course of the campaign are basically that guy's whole purview. Right. He gets to make all of those because it's just the one check. It doesn't make sense for your guy with you know ten less ranks in the skill to make that one check, right? Um, and so this is kind of th- like I see what you're saying, but in my in my mind, like this is the the, the point when no one person can do it alone. The whole sure. group has to get together. Oh no! Uh, I think it's just I I no, totally I, see where you're coming from. I just have the exact opposite. No, no,
0: I, I I I get it. It's 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 i think less um like i I think this is kind of all almost weirdly um you're taking a more mechanics heavy view of it and i'm taking a more story view of it
1: things that i never thought i'd heard yeah (laughs) because it makes sense from a mechanical perspective
0: for everybody to participate in this epic conversation but from like a kind of kind of i guess like a a story perspective right like Aside from like you know an impassioned speech or something that you know makes a lot of sense for for other characters, say you're mostly going to be relying on the diplomat. but I, I I think you know obviously there's there's good, I I think part of it is encouraging. I, I think if you leave it like a plus two or a plus three, and people aren't invested in the right skills, ultimately like past like level five or so, I think you're still. If you don't have something really smart to say, like just thinking about it over in my head, right? I think this system actually a little bit better than I initially gave it credit for, because at like like level five, past, um, if you're just making a statement with the bonus, that's not going to be enough to override the good yeah. bonus on on your face.
1: I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, part of the meat and potato, like, the, the super nitty-gritty that I that we'll explain in a second is also meant to address this a little bit and open it up a little bit for uh, kind of other players to come in and strike while the iron is hot. So the way the way that the the the, the real, the, the like, the cogs work and not just the gears is um, those four social skills are what you're primarily using to convince someone, right? Diplomacy... Bluff, Intimidate, and Sense Motive, right? Three of the four, Diplomacy, Bluff, and Sense Motive, can rack you up a success or a failure based on whether or not you succeed or you fail the role, right? If I attempt a Diplomacy check and then I succeed, I rack up one success towards hitting my first tier of of, of benefits. Um, and if I fail, I rack up one failure towards my shutting down the conversation uh, in total, right? Because if I rack up, you know if I rack up the maximum number of successes where I get all of the, all of the benefits that I possibly could, the encounter ends. Or if I rack up the maximum number of failures that the target is willing to kind of forgive. Right. Uh, which is in most cases is three. I haven't deviated from three and I honestly really don't think any number besides three will appear just because four seems like too much and two seems like too little, but obviously I'll just leave that up for iteration. Um, the uh, the 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 conversation ends as soon as those failures get racked up, right? Um, the sense motive cannot give you uh, a so success.
0: Just, but hold, it can. Hold, hold okay, one sure. second. Um, you initially said diplomacy, bluff, and sense motive. So I. Think oh, sorry. Meant I meant Diplom- diplomacy,
1: bluff, and intimidate. Intimidate.
0: Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. I
1: thought you might have yeah. been going somewhere else with intimidate because intimidate's
0: also a very Strange skill in that it's you yelling at me. Yeah, it
1: really is. But I, honestly, I've kind of folded it in a little bit. Yeah, it makes, the, it, it makes it makes sense.
0: Anyway, yeah, get back to uh, this anyway. One so, so
1: sense motive won't give you a success, right? If you have someone roll a sense motive check, it won't count towards your maximum number of successes. And if you fail a sense motive roll, it will count towards one of your failures. Um, the big thing about sense motive, however, is that it'll uh, if, if if you succeed, it will show you. About the target, right? What are what are their weaknesses? What are the skills that are going to be most susceptible to them? And in my mind, it's going to unlock, uh, you know, two to four, depending on different things, ancillary skills like knowledge skills or something like craft, poetry. You're know, just like the the out there stuff that your face isn't guaranteed to have. And so, yeah, maybe this is the time when like the profession so that you realize like. The sense motive role is going to tell you profession soldier can get you a success here if you succeed a profession soldier check. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have the cavalier with like ten rights of profession soldiers. He's like, I got this, guys. You know, like, <laughs> we yeah. in there, boys. And I think that's that's the other half of the system that really complements that ability. So
0: right? I, I kind of want to actually dig into this a little bit because I, I think that's an awesome idea. Um, I think uh, two two things. First of all, um, I, I wonder is sense motive really a good thing to let you fail on? Because the the issue I see is that well you never want a sense motive then because you can get your guarantee that you can get a success with a successful base skill check, and I don't know if it's worth the risk to go for the sense motive check. Um, I think part of that can be addressed with uh, I think part of that can be addressed with something like. It doesn't directly lead to a failure, but maybe gives you some wrong information, like thinks that you can get a success with knowledge nature. And if you end up rolling that knowledge nature check, you fail because it's not actually a possible success. Oh,
1: geez, interesting. Um, that. Whoa, do- that is actually kind of mind blowing. All <laughs> the mind games I can play with you guys. Yeah, but wow. like
0: the so the the, th- the thing the thing there that immediately struck out to me was that like you know. This, a failed sense of motive check will give you a, a, a wrong avenue, a, a wrong like maybe not necessarily a bad skill check, but maybe it's like, oh, if you pursue this line of reasoning, you'll get somewhere, and you just read the situation wrong. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to think that, like, you think, hmm, he probably like would like it if I talked more about, like, you know, the soldier formations, when in reality he's just, like, come, some sort of bureaucrat that doesn't really understand it, right? Like, it doesn't make sense to me that you thinking that automatically leads you to a failure if nobody ever actually brings that up, right? Like, if you find some other line of reasoning that you think is working better anyway, and you just keep that in your back pocket if you need it, and you never need to use it, it doesn't make sense to me that that leads you to a failure if you don't ever use it. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, I guess I just see where that is coming from. The thing is, so, the... the I feel like there needs to be some stakes on sense voting, because I really like the interaction of you make a check, to figure to, to figure out this guy's weaknesses, you know what makes him tick. How can I, you know, how can I really hammer home my point, um, kind of thing. And uh, I think sense motive is the natural skill for that. But if there's no chance of failure, it's kind of like you just keep rolling sense motive checks until you succeed. You know what I mean? Huh. Like you never have to you never have to play the trade off of I rolled sense motive and I popped a failure. So, not only did I not get the insider information that I want, am I going to risk rolling sense motive again? Otherwise, you just have it where the first couple of rounds of this is people spamming sense motive until you hit it. You know what I mean? Huh. Maybe, and maybe, so maybe the that's, way that's to the, do
0: that is to limit what you can sense. Like, you can't sense motive on, like, you can only sense motive, like, you can only sense motive generally, like, once. And then maybe you sense motive on a particular statement an additional time if you want to. Like you can't, like you know, you can sense motive on the general demeanor of the guy, and like you know, near the opening, if you want to, and maybe like after you've talked for a little while, be like, you know, oh, he talked briefly about this. Is this an avenue of conversation worth pursuing? Sense motive. Um, I get that. I do. I just, it just, like, like maybe, uh, I, I, I definitely get your point. I just don't know if there isn't a better way to fix it than than making it a failure. It's just, it seems like a huge. Huge risk to me to, to roll something that you know will never give you a success to risk one third of your opportunities. and also also is kind of weird to me. Like you know, sense motive is something I've been trying out in my Rune Lords game. Is rolling sense motive secretly? Um, it makes less sense to me. Like you you are you going to show us these failures? Because if you do, it's kind of weird to me to know that you like know that you read the person wrong type of deal.
1: That is an interesting... I, the plan was, yes, to be as transparent about failures as possible, right? Every time you guys rack up a success, I let you know. When you hit a tier, I let you know. When you rack up a failure, I let you know. Now, most of... I mean, admittedly, most of that stuff is going to be obvious from the context of RP. When the person says, well, I'll give you half my army, you've hit a tier of... of a, you, you've hit your benefit, Right. That, that's that's your baseline benefit, and then maybe you run up and you get more of the army or whatever, right? This stuff will be, in my mind, obvious from the content of what the person is responding to you with. Uh, though I guess maybe I can make that a little bit more... I mean, I could make that transparent and kind of out of character, whereas I was planning on doing it more in character. Sure.
0: Um, the other way... The, to come at this from the complete opposite angle, which is... Um, instead of fixing the, the the weirdnesses I feel about the mechanics, is fixing what the expectation of what the mechanic is. Is that another way to solve this problem. Is when you roll a sense motive check, it's not actually like, and you might want to actually assign like like a minor six. I don't know if you're doing levels of success to this. Is a sense motive check and a diplomacy check and intimidate and a bluff check. They are not. Um, checks to they are not like you know single attached to single statements it's something more and say like the like the burning wheel style of of engagement is that sensitive check isn't you just reading the person it's you engaging in a conversation where your primary drive is instead of influencing the person or instead of influencing the person on your own agenda is to influence them off of what you read off of them and so, what that check actually entails is a little bit of a back and forth, and a failure there justifies the failure because you've read something wrong and you've actually acted on that in that kind of microcosm.
1: yeah, I mean that was a that was a little bit of it uh, t- that, to be honest, that was kind of the justification I was using in my mind for why this makes sense to rack up a failure in story uh, perspective, right because theoretically what what happens is you sense motive something and just it's not you don't necessarily sense motive something and then come out and say it but you might phrase something a little bit differently or use some dictionary or like diction or syntax or whatever that that just kind of suggests at it almost and that's what racks up your failure right like if you if you misread the person and that just bleeds into what you say over the rest of the conversation that's kind of the representation of the failure that I was thinking about in RP terms um, though it isn't necessarily the starkest thing, and I definitely know, I definitely know that it feels a little bit weird because it feels like you should be able to help that if if you roll it right, like kind of the idea being that like when I roll a sense motive check and it pops a four, right, I know that whatever information I get is either wrong outright or incomplete or whatever, um, and so it kind of sucks to hear that. I acted on that. My, you know, my character acted on that information anyway because it didn't know any better. I think that's a little, uh, that's a little awkward.
0: Yeah. No. Um. That's actually that's that is exactly why I've started rolling those checks in secret. Um. On, at my table is because you know knowing you rolled poorly is 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 kind of it's, it's a trap, right? Like even if you have the most sincere players who promise you, promise you, promise you they're not going to metagame at all knowing that they rolled poorly, it's going to be impossible. Even if they don't intend to, they're going to act because yeah. they know they they, they they rolled poorly.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, to be honest, I actually fully totally intend on implementing that outside of this specific scenario with stuff like perception and, uh, to me, So to me, the biggest offender in that vein is perception, right? I think perception
0: um, and sense motive are, and stealth. Yeah. Um, this, what, what, what do I use in my game? I use perception, stealth, Sense motive, um, and maybe one other one, um, I th- I think those are those are all. I, I some, sometimes I call for them to be secret, otherwise as well. Um, but yeah, I think everything everything in that vein is kind of like, you know, if if you know you've rolled badly, you act differently, which is yeah, not what your yeah. character should be doing. Um,
1: um yeah, I mean, I, I it's one of those things where I think. I, I I I think survival. The mechanics... That's the fourth one that I use. Oh oh, interesting. What what use for survival?
0: Um, we've got a slayer, and he's got bonuses, and there are a couple of like foot foot. So when I started using the system, there were a couple of footprint tracking things directly in that chapter. So I'm like, oh, like
1: some puzzle whatever kind of pieces.
0: Yeah, like and so because it was right there, I was like, I should put this on this list. Not that it gets used super often, but it's it is one that theoretically falls into that trap as well.
1: Okay. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Um, interesting. Yeah, it's one of those things where I kind of want to sacrifice this stuff a little bit on the altar of the mechanics. I think that the mechanic, like the the mechanic itself, where you sense motive in order to get a big boost, so to speak, for your party, but it doesn't necess- it's, it doesn't lead to a success, but it leads to leading to successes, right? At the risk of racking up a failure, like that's a really strong interaction, and I don't really know that there's a good way to replace that. Uh, no,
0: I, I I definitely get this. So let's 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 break this down because let's let's just let's just run a thought experiment and, and see if we can if if it breaks under the, under the duress because I'm I'm I am imagining that we disincentivize a party from using sense motive if this is the case. But let's 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 see if we can let's see, let's see if we can do do some math right. Like um, so let's let's say we've got our our diplomat who's gonna for our for our, our purpose is going to be the guy who's making most of these checks, right? And he's got a, he's got a, a very good bonus to diplomacy or some such, right? And he's let's assume that if we aren't doing something else, your diplomacy guy is rolling a diplomacy check. Does that sound fair? Yeah. Or you know, or your diploma, your face is rolling a face check, um, with a very good modifier. Um, and how, how uh, what's round numbers is is ten like good for like a full successful. Encounter.
1: uh Do you mean ten successes? Yes, or... 10, 10,
0: 10 successes. Is that too? Right, most of
1: them are nine successes and three failures. And by most of them, I mean all of them because I've only ever written out three. Okay, <laughs>
0: nine successes, three failures. Right. So, in our most boring, bland, vanilla case, diplomat rolls until he gets nine successes or three failures. Right. Does that does that sound yeah. right to you? Yep. Um. And so let's say that your diplomat, because he's very good at it, succeeds at this check seventy five percent of the time. Does that sound right? Yep. All right. Um, and you know we're using rough numbers, so we can obviously shift these parameters around and might show something different. But like, uh, you know, what's um we we could we could roll the dice and see if that seventy five percent. All right. Let Let me let me pull up some math. 'cause I need, I need to pull out calculator. Well so, you
1: know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, let's say, you know, level five party, so five ranks in the face skills. Uh they're all class skills for the sky, three extra ranks, and then they've got a plus two charisma because they're not necessarily you know, whatever, just to make it easy, right? So that's a plus ten. Um in order to make for a seventy five percent success rate with a plus ten. Wow, that's actually a pretty low DC, isn't it? Because they've got to roll... Well, no, I think my math is wrong. I'm thinking 15.
0: 15 would be a 75% success. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. My well, math is well, right. So, so, yeah, but that's a, what so a, success is. would be, like, if you rolled a 5, Um, you would you would succeed.
1: Yeah, right. So, 15 would be it. Yeah, okay. So, I was thinking correctly. Um, and uh, so, if I were to just pull out of, you know, a, a D20 and roll it twenty or 10 times... 12 times technically how many times would I beat that five before you know I'm actually I'm actually I'm
0: actually doing this uh oh boo um so 0.75 times 0.75 you have a 40 percent chance of failing on the first two chances it's like this is the number of successes you get before you you fail out
1: okay
0: um and it kind of keeps dropping down like Around like six it gets to like an eighty percent chance. Let's
1: that you're gonna fail out?
0: Point seven five times two three four five six. Yeah. So after six rolls, you will have you you will have an eighty percent chance of having at least one failure. Um Okay. And that's that's just multiplying the success rate by itself a number of times. Um and um. Huh. I'm not. I'm, I actually have to sit down and think about how to, how to do the actual math for this.
1: Well, because the thing is, is that the DC so the DCs as I've written them are a little bit higher because they scale in certain ways, um, just in general. Um, but uh, but the bonuses that you get from being able to unlock extra skills is theoretically good. You know what I mean, like that that should be that should be powerful right we it, it's mostly just about weighting the what's what is the what is the mathematical value of one failure and how do i implement a bonus that is superior than that yeah no that, that
0: that's that's absolutely the calculus to do right like um if you unlock profession soldier that profession soldier if it's the same bonus as the diplomat's very good like assume, assuming that the person who's doing profession soldier has the same has roughly the same modifier as the diplomat. because um, you know, there's also the possibility that the diplomat has one of these these scores as well, right? Like that's true. You yeah. unlock you unlock not like, you know, knowledge, nobility, and, and hey, that's what the diplomat has. Um the Because so the it could just to uh, that should be like mm-hmm. a, like at max rank that should be like a if if you're if your diplomas if your diplomat has a seventy five percent success rate, your Non diplomat with max ranks in the tertiary or the secondary skill should have like maybe like a ninety percent. That, that, that's that's just what it balling. is
1: Um because those checks are the lowest. Uh, as as I have it currently written, right? Each each uh, kind of target is susceptible to one of the three social skills. Right? One of them he doesn't like him versus against. Right? So. You know, maybe the gruff military commander doesn't, you know, he doesn't stand up to being intimidated, and the intimidate DC is high, but uh, he likes being flattered, and so his bluff DC is low, and then diplomacy is kind of in the middle, right? Just an obvious example. But if you unlock the profession soldier for him, it'll be even lower than that bluff would be right? Like, the, the, the easiest DCs will always be, just because they're one-offs, right? You can't make two profession soldier checks to rack up two quick successes. You can only make it once, and once you have the success, you've depleted it. Um, just to, maybe I didn't explain that point well enough, right? Um, and so, that's the, it is, it is definitely built to lead to easy successes okay off of the off skills.
0: Okay, I think I think you might want to put in some allowance there for something like, you know, I think it'd be kind of so so this is this is a situation I'm imagining, right? You go up to the scruff general, and it's obvious he's a general, and your player thinks to himself, Well, I'm trained in professional soldier, why don't I give that a go? Right? Like Without rolling the sense motive check, right? Like that's just sure. kind of like a player intuition type thing. Um, how do you deal with that, right? Like do you want do you make them roll a sense motive check and have that have a lower DC because they thought of it. No, uh, honestly,
1: do you, do you have them I, roll it with was a your chance? Well, so honestly, the risk of failure is that you don't know, right? If you sure. roll anything that's not one of these secret skills, you fail, right? You if you if the if the soldier. Isn't susceptible to a knowledge nature. It doesn't matter if you hit a nat twenty with it. You're gonna fail. You're you're gonna rack up a failure, and so that's that's the fear, right? Um, it'll it obviously makes sense for the soldier to walk up and be a soldier, and he could roll it and he could get you know kind of like a hey surprise success, right? You didn't even need a sense motive for it. Um, but the risk you're always taking is that it happens to be one of his off skills rather than one of the secret ones.
0: Sure. Um. Hmm. So what's 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 my fear with that? Like, I, I, my, my fear with that is that you discourage somebody from trying something creative, right? Like, you know, you've you've got this, you know, written down set of things that will work and things that won't work, and you know, you know, player comes out of left field with something brilliant, right? Like he's, you know, he sees that like there's like, uh, oh, I, I don't know, like he sees he sees that there's a terrace garden that is the pride of this nation and he thinks to himself uh-huh I can use my knowledge nature and that will you know that that will influence this this ruler because he knows that I know my plants and like maybe you weren't thinking about that because you didn't think about that, that fits with yeah, the story and yeah, want to reward them for that kind of, for that um, kind of I think, thinking. so
1: I definitely really think that that stuff that that kind of falls into like the I'm going to be altering back end DCs based on circumstance. Okay, right? if you happen to make the good argument, uh, it you know if you happen to make the good argument and you roll it with bluff instead of diplomacy kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like that—that's not a big deal to me. As long as, if you're hitting the good argument, that's what really matters. Uh, and so that kind of stuff, I'm willing to fudge on the back end. And I think if somebody really hits it out of the park with some kind of crazy brilliance, uh, sure. But I also think that a lot of the time it's going to be people, you know, like the, the, the other side to that is someone walking up to them and just, you know, making up something crazy and completely out of left field that just doesn't make any sense at all. I'm ha- I am not mad at penalizing that okay, player that makes sense. for making, you know what I mean, for, for being so loose. So to speak, with something that has some weight, right? Like they, you, you shouldn't play around with these kinds of interactions with people, right? And and taking risks is obviously a good idea, and doing so will get you the circumstance bonuses that you're looking for on the back end. But being crazy for the sake of crazy or trying to kind of wheedle your way in ah, that kind of stuff, I feel like is just okay. going to be that's that's fair, yeah. Huh?
0: I'm I'm just wondering if the, like. So let's let's go back to this this the soldier approaches the general type of type of scenario cuz I th- I think it's a, I think it's a very kind of core and easy to understand one you know like the, the, the Yeah, the, definitely. Um so part of this is may, maybe maybe this should I think it's kind of explicit but maybe maybe just in in particular with this group you should make it very explicit. You're giving everybody an extra skill point. Um and it should kind of be explicit that that skill point is expected to be going towards one of these persuasion skills um that way like so you know the soldier that walks up to the general and sees that extra skill point or not sees that extra skill point sees that he's a general can not can like roll a diplomacy or maybe even a bluff or intimidate check against that general with the argument being in the vein of something that would be backed by a professional soldier check um, without risking the failure. Does that make sense? Well, that's
1: actually kind of interesting.
0: Right? Like, the the soldier that walks up and says, you know, normally something that's like, you know, uh, you know, I see your men march in tight formation, which is something he knows because of his professional soldier. Maybe something he noticed with, a, with an independent professional soldier check earlier, and he makes it, a, and he's like, that makes for strong men, and that's why we want you as your ally, right? Like, that's kind of like a diplomacy check, or maybe even like a a bluff check if he's lying about it. But, you know... That that kind of like you know, he's making the the check in the primary skill, but augmenting it with his knowledge, and that makes it makes you less afraid to try something like that. I think that well, to be honest, what that
1: what that suggests to me is a little addition to the system, which is that you can make you know like you can make perception checks or knowledge checks, kind of leading into these big encounters to give yourself a leg up, almost. You know, it's it's, it's kind of like in, in like, certain, like, video games, right, like, where you 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 can just keep mashing A until you get all the way through the like, the dialogue screen, right? Or like, in Mass Effect or something like this, right, like you can investigate all of, like, the little like, let me ask this question, let me ask that question, and it might reveal that little tidbit like, oh, you know, like, yeah, what's your face's daughter left, you know, their health kit behind you know, she said she left it under the stairs, and then you know later to go check under the stairs for that health kit, right? But the person who just kept mashing forward, 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 yeah. missed it. Okay. So I think I think there's something to be said for like setting yourself up okay. for I've, I've got, good I've, skills.
0: So so hear me out because I I just you're saying that kind of kind of gave me an idea. Let me let, let me just you know again, spot of the moment idea. Let, let me bounce this off you. See what you think. Sure. Um, Part of this encounter includes a pre-negotiation phase where you're given x number of checks to, uh, like you you give background about what this what this house is what this what this place is what, what who you're going for and you've got x number of checks to gather the information you want about this to aid you in your in your conversation something like you know oh and you know there's this city or you know like the, you're talking to this head of this house and um. He, there, you know, house, you know, house Shultaro, because that's that's house known is known about is known for having their information network, right. and so you use your your knowledge local to dig up some information that you think would be useful for them, or like, and you you you, probably, probably is like you've got three checks to figure out, or you know you've got four or five or like a check a piece to bring something valuable to this conversation to give you a kind of inroad in, um what do you think? And if you're, you know, your player is thinking about it and makes the correct decision or like a, a correct decision, right? Like, you know, you're talking to the, how the, the botanical house, they make their knowledge nature check. Right. And that gives them something to give them an inroad with, um, or you've got like your, you've got your spy house and they make the knowledge nature check. Cause lol, I don't know. And that doesn't give them anything useful. Does that sound like a, 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 a good system?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good kind of way to approach it. Um, I definitely think that these are, you know, these are the diplomacy boss battles, right? And I don't really think that it's fair for you guys to just kind of waddle into them. You know, like, it, 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 it's not going to be something that surprises you, right? You're, you you should theoretically know that it's coming um, so that you can kind of prepare... And, you know, ask questions to the people who set you up about it kind of thing. Like, oh, you know, what do you think that Muscleface is going to say when I ask them to hand over their life savings to the Rebellion, right? Like, or whatever, right? You can can kind of get that context before, and I think that's really important. It's not something I really thought about before. Um, So it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's definitely a good addition. Um, I think another piece of this is... uh, The, like setting up the prerequisite role play to getting to that point, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it should also, it should also be clear and deliberate why you're asking this boon of this, you know, person. Um, and making sure that that is really cemented in players' minds is something that uh, that is also going to like be more important than I may have initially thought of.
0: Sure. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I like that.
1: Yeah. yeah, I like that. Wow. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm happy. I think that this is. Uh, I think that overall, this is a good system. It's going to be a little bit rough around the edges for the first couple of times. I feel like just because it is going to be a little bit.
0: Sure. Um, As all always is.
1: Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I feel I feel good about this design. I think this is pretty robust uh, design. Yeah. In uh, in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's all. Uh, that's all I got. Now that we've talked for forty five I mean, minutes. Yeah, I mean this is good. I
0: think I you know obviously we'll gauge feedback from listeners when we whenever we get them. Um, yeah, true. <laughs> I will because uh, I I, I, th- I think doing these things like. You know, kind of really right, like talking about different homebrew, talking about different. different yeah. I think it's I think it's a, it's a fun thing to do, right? Like we do it all the time yeah. outside we, of this cat, we right?
1: Definitely, definitely do. And I think that it's so, it's also something that really deserves this scrutiny. Yeah, you know, because these are fundamental. You know, we're basically messing with the metaphysics of the entire world, right? Like, right. you know, making sure that that stuff is 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 good is really important. Uh, especially uh, in the context of fairness. Uh, What I'm going to do, listeners, for you guys is uh, I will link out the full description of these rules so that if you'd like to use them in your own game, please feel free to do so. Um, And uh, you can see those in action when we start up Hell's Rebels in the uh, next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, um, and if you've got any suggestions, if you see any glaring flaws in our logic or what we were talking about, if you think that there's... If you've got any ideas of your own to contribute, feel free to leave them in the comments um, below the, the SoundCloud, um, SoundCloud page. Um, I'll be sure to read them or send them to um, somederpsplaygames at gmail.com. Note that that's, that's somederpsplaygames at gmail.com, which is also the name of our twitch.tv channel, twitch.tv slash somederpsplaygames, where you can see us play Rise of the Rune Lords on Monday and Mondays in general. Uh, uh, we're Iron- also
1: going to be playing Iron Gods uh, just, just just to explain the scheduling a little bit Hell's Rebels will start up once Iron Gods ends uh, With the barring of one kind of introductory one-shot That we'll be running sometime in the next month So, you know, stay tuned for that And when are Iron scheduling. Gods, buddy?
0: When's Iron Gods?
1: Uh, Iron Gods is Tuesday Tuesdays at 6pm Pacific Standard Time yep, Or say- Daylight Time whatever it is yeah same same thing (laughs)
0: for uh or Lords is mondays at that six o'clock time point um we're usually a couple minutes late so if you're a little bit late feel free to jump in anyway and watch um we also
1: pay attention to twitch chat if you want to hang out in twitch chat with us
0: yeah um (laughs) if i can remember to um Uh, did we, did you want to pimp anything? Oh, that's something I wanted to, to pimp. Tomorrow, I will be a guest star on the Unwise Index, a a podcast run by our friends, Monica and Akshay. You should definitely check that out. I think
1: I'm excited to hear. They are a
0: more, they are a more generalist podcast than we are. Um, but we will be talking about video games tomorrow, as that is my area of expertise. Um, Wait,
1: what, what, can, you give me, can you give me a sneak peek? What are you guys going to um, be talking about?
0: Um, I would give you a sneak peek if I knew we are talking about video games. You might talk about VR a little bit, because they're interest, interest in that. I know that Monarch's a big um Starcraft fan and uh both of them play hearthstone you should Stone.
1: ask him you should ask me about the single player I, this is well perfect what, maybe I will this is this, uh, this is good this is good uh fodder kind of, I kind of doubt that he plays it to be honest but uh you know hey man I've been surprised before yeah but I'll
0: I'll, I'll link to their podcast in the description as well um yeah go check those guys out they're cool um and cool. I
1: th- well uh I guess that kind of uh that ends stuff for us today So, uh, thanks for tuning in. This has been Buddy. I'm, uh, the co-host of Some Derps Derps Talk About Games.
0: And this has been Mango, the other co-host of Some Derps Talk About Games. (laughs) Um, until next time, dear listeners.
1: Until next time, dear listeners. Farewell.